Welcome to False Bottom Girls, a podcast about the wonderful yet sometimes confusing world of beer and brewing. Hi, I'm Rachel Hudson, owner of Pilot Brewing and an Advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair, sensory expert, home brewer, and Advanced Cicerone. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of False Bottom Girls. And um, I'm Rachel, and that's Jen. Just kidding. <laughs> That's a myth. And that's what we're talking about. <laughs> that's just a lie. That's yes, just a that's flat true. out lie. <laughs> and this is my piece of incorrect information right. for you today. <laughs> What's the difference between a myth and a lie? I don't know. Oh, well, I feel like a myth, a lie is a known fault, right? Okay. You know what you're saying is false. But a myth is like believing in God. You know, it's, it's, it's something that you believe in, but you don't have any proof of. I see. Yes. A myth is not a lie. Did you just Google that? I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's an organization I, of symbolic images and narratives, metaphorical of the possibilities of human experience. I would totally argue that is also a lie. <laughs> when you break it down like that. However, <laughs> I do, it's, I do think it's based on your belief. Like, like a lie is like, I know this is wrong, but a myth is like, well, there's a good possibility. Right. I could go with that. Yeah. You know, and that's why we have um, flat earth, <laughs> flat earth believers and <laughs> moon landing deniers. <laughs> right. Yes. Welcome to false narrative girls. This is where, <laughs> um, surprise, Rachel and I are flat earthers and... <laughs> <laughs> You know what I was thinking about yesterday? Remember when everyone was so worried about 5G? Like, you just don't hear about that. No, <laughs> I do not remember that. Actually. It was it was part of like the COVID-19 false information was 5G had something to do with it. I don't know. I I haven't heard about it in so long, but there was a point in time in our very recent history where that was a thing. Okay, like, like on my phone, 5G. Yes. Is, is giving me COVID, like COVID's being transmitted to I don't me remember through my exactly 5G what it, signals. Something like that. Yeah. You should wait till they find out about microwaves. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Just saying. You think 5G is a problem. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess then given this very enlightening and academic discussion we just had, then maybe we're not talking about myths, but we're debunking today. This is yeah. going to be a well actually episode. Oh yeah. This is my favorite. Yeah. Which is where I get all of my facts from a well actually. <laughs> it's actually a website. Wellactually.com. <laughs> is it a website? If it's not, I'm, I'm gonna sure, buy it. Sure, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it Let's is. See. Let's see. Let's see. Wellactually.com. <gasps> I'm buying it. Oh, not if I buy it first. <laughs> I forgot. I, there's another. You can buy it now for $12,000. Or you could lease to own for $260 a month. Domain. I don't know if that's true or not. It's just what the website pops up and yeah. says. Let's see. I do own um, another domain. I don't remember what just it is. Just for fun? Yeah, but it was like $10 or something. Just to well actually someone? Yes. Well, actually, I own it. <laughs> okay. Um, this is not what we're here to discuss, but I will be. 
the new proud owner of wellactually.com. Yes, by the time this comes out. An hour after our episode is recorded. Right. Like by the time everyone hears this episode, you're going to type in wellactually.com. And it's going to be a picture of Jen. We're debunking some sensory things that float around quite often that I see. And I have actually repeated. Like there are a couple oh, of, of things we're going to talk about today that in a presentation last year, yep. I used both of those myths thinking that I was on the cutting edge of science. And then I learned that I am not. I am working off of 17th century ideas that have been thoroughly debunked. <laughs> yeah. And this is why you, our listeners, should question everything. Right. And, but you know what? Life That's and true. That we say. <laughs> That's true. There are so many things. And I've, I've obviously, I've been spending a lot more time in the, like the sensory realm and kind of the, the history of how our sense of smell and taste has been treated. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that a lot today, but they're doing that. I've learned there are so many like things that we think of as basic principles that mm -hmm. are not true that, you know, when you learn the science behind it, you're like, oh yeah, that obviously that's not true. Mm -hmm. And like, it makes a lot of sense, but we all just accept it. And until somebody's like, hey, that's not actually accurate. So we've talked about this in the context before of one of the best things Escarpment Labs has ever said in their webinars was like most brewing research is based on English translations of old German brewing texts or some guy's PhD paper from the 70s. Yeah, surprise. So is all your education. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like... So there's there's so much stuff that once you kind of learn the context around it, you understand like, oh, okay, this was just a kind of convenient theory for us that was adopted um, that was never challenged because exactly. it didn't. Because it's so easy to be like, well, that guy knows what he's talking about. So that, of course, right. that's right. Right. Know? And it's believable. Like, they're, yeah. you know, they're plausible things. Um, so one of the first things we're going to talk about, Rachel, uh, that we have discussed before. And if I remember correctly, your family is responsible for this giant fuck up yeah. history. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. Piece. And that's why we're here today. Rachel. Where did I find that piece of information? I'm going to go back and look. But yeah, <laughs> that is the tongue map. So with the tongue map and I like I always make this joke, uh, you know, I'm not that old, but like I had the tongue map in my science books growing up where um, picture and everybody's seen this where you've got a picture of a tongue and it's like you taste bitter in the back of your tongue and you taste sweet on the tip of your tongue. And you only have these receptors on these certain parts of your tongue. And I remember in my seventh grade science class going through this and doing like rubbing like sour on your tongue. And, you know, when it like hit the sides, people would be like, mm -hmm. oh, no, because, of course, you were primed to know yeah. that you were supposed to, it was supposed to be more sour on you know, wherever that area. Or was. you did not feel any of those rules and make a connection and felt like the dumb kid in class. Right. So exactly. don't worry. You're not dumb. It's not you. Right. It's everyone else. Right. <laughs> this exactly. Time. This no, time. <laughs> I, I wrote about that in one of my newsletters about being the holy fool. that you, you can be the emperor's yes. new clothes, right? <laughs> yeah. But as humans, our our brains don't work that way and we don't want to go against the pack, right? We're, we're social animals. But the tongue map, what, what had happened was, um, again, this was 
uh, one of Rachel's ancestors. Well, it no, was like it was like in the twenties or thirties. Probably it? was like uh, so. Ed, <laughs> Edwin Boring in the nineteen early nineteen forties, he came up with this myth, or if you will, this uh, theory of the ton map. Um, but my um, uncle, my brother's, my brother's, my mom's brother, <laughs> my mom's brother is named Edward. My mom's grandma, his, her last name is Boring. So now I need to go back and ask <laughs> my mom, like, what's up? Like, do you know if we had an Edwin Boring? Because his name is Edwin Boring, who went to Harvard. Harvard, Right. And I'm going to figure this out because she did a lot of research. So when this episode is post, I'm going to have the answer. I'm going to comment. We'll, we're going to find out if my family fucked this all up. Okay. And if they did, <laughs> which I highly believe because you haven't met my family. Very plausible. Um, yeah. I, I, you know what? I take, pr- I'm proud of it if it is true, <laughs> but I apologize. if, if That's so. okay. Um, so with the tongue map, it's it wasn't actually a theory that he developed. There was a uh, he puts out a series or put out a series of books where he was compiling research True. from overseas and he misinterpreted from German. He misinterpreted somebody's findings on the tongue map and like translating German to English. And I, I guess nobody like questioned whether this guy could translate German mm-hmm. to English. And I get it like that is not a perfect one to one match, um, but he mistranslated it and put it in this book saying that you only have taste buds receptors on certain parts of your tongue that can pick up certain things. That's not what the research was showing, but that's what got put into the book and that's what got adopted. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it was like that for several years until somebody was like, hey, wait a second that's not, that's not how it works. And now we have the updated tongue map, which is shows that you have all these papilla on your tongue and you have different taste receptors in those papilla. And you, within those taste receptors, you have several different receptors that can taste different things. So you don't just taste sour in one place on your tongue. You taste it in various places across your tongue, which also makes sense if you think about from like an evolutionary standpoint, you don't want to only be able to taste bitter in one specific area of mm-hmm. your tongue. And especially if I remember correctly, the bitter area was like in the back of your tongue. So like you, we evolved to be able to taste bitterness to alert ourselves, our bodies to when we might be poisoned. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't even really make sense that like your bitter receptor would be would at be the, the very last. back of your tongue. Yeah. <laughs> like, right so- <laughs> before you swallow. Oh, right. never mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. So you have four different kinds of taste buds, and those are filiform, fungiform, foliate, and circumvallate. You don't need to remember all of these, but um, what I like about them is that if you look in your t- at your tongue, and I'm actually looking at this like very realistic, like disembodied tongue, which is gross. I don't I don't like looking at tongues, but um, <laughs> circumvallate they go around the circumference of your tongue. Your filiform are the ones that are going to be um, kind of in the center of your tongue. Um, the fungiform, they're named that way because they look like little mushrooms. And that's why they're called fungiform. And then your foliate is in the very back of your uh, of your tongue. And those are foliate. They're like their foliage. They're kind of there for decoration. They don't do the same amount of work 
as your filiform or your fungiform. So bottom line, you taste all different tastes all over your tongue, taste being sweet, sour, salty, umami, and bitter. So Rachel will let us know if I'm so excited. Um, she indeed is personally responsible. I, <laughs> that's how it works. I <laughs> also love that he was translating from German and just messed it up because I've been learning German and I love it. I love learning German. It's a lot of fun to speak. You, mm -hmm. It's like German is a lot of fun. Yeah. German it's is like we have the word bank, but in German, it will be like the building where you keep your money. It's yes. Like what the work is. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Like, uh, it's, it's really funny to be like, uh, God, what's a really good example? It's weird because I'm learning the way I learn. I, I use this app Duolingo. And if anyone has tried it, I just, I love it so much, but, uh, you learn like just whatever they do, they're doing it very well. But I learned how to say like the owl cannot paint before I learned how to say like, <laughs> where's the bathroom, you know? So like, <laughs> like it's kind of weird, like, but then you learn some more important things, but uh, the way it builds up highly recommend, but nice. if Edwin had uh, learned some on some Duolingo, he might've not have fucked this up. So yeah, he made a boring mistake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rachel just high-fived herself. I did. <laughs> All right, Rachel, the next yes. question yes. I have for you. I love quiz time. Who do you think are better tasters, assuming a strict gender binary, men or women? Well, naturally women. Why? Um, because women are better at everything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I do know, I think... I know the myth here. Okay. I believe that it is perceived that, or women's people say that women have better taste buds than men. And that is not true. They have the same taste buds, whether they're good or bad. That is a DNA dependent thing. However, I think, which is not true for every woman, but I think the mass amount of women grow up around noticing more fragrances, aroma, smells, and the use of shampoo, lotion, makeup, flowers, and just the general stereotypical quote-unquote women stuff, which me growing up was definitely not true. But um, I think that is why I think they pick up on things that they recognize because there's a lot of similar compounds and things like hops and yeast that there are in fruit and um, fragrances and perfumes. And I think there's a lot of crossover there. So they are familiar with more smells and per can perceive them in a more identifiable way than most men. Now that is really drawing a line between putting two people in two groups. Right. When right. I bring, say all that up. Right, exactly. Which we know is not true, right? Gender is a yes. spectrum, but the a lot of the research that is out there is still strictly men or women. And that is why or I should say, say male or female. Yeah. yeah. And that's why people say female is better. Right. I mean, they are, but not for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and your reasoning is is right on that a lot of people 
will say that. And I've had people say that to me, like in the form of basically a microaggression is like, did you know that women are actually better than men at this? And it's like, well, yes, I did know, but it's not for the I mean, reason that you think. <laughs> right. But will always be my answer. What the, it's not a correlation is not causation. So like you said, the real, and this is still kind of squishy science, but again, this is a, a new theory that makes more sense given what we know about the world around us now. And that's, you know, that's what science is, is mm-hmm. having theories and trying them out and things are like science false is or not false, but yeah. they're not necessarily true. Right. So science is changing based on everything. Data. And yes. And so the, what the, the real root of that is, is exactly what you said, looking at how much marketing is scent-based marketing is done towards women versus towards men. Mm-hmm. And so you're exactly right that you, um, again, assuming a strict binary that that doesn't exist, but you are as a woman exposed to like cucumber mint body wash or like papaya mango exactly. body wash and yeah. with, you know, with perceived feminine aromas. Well, you're also aromas. offered those options. Right. Right. So you go down the store aisle, you have a hundred different types of scents of body wash. And then for a man, you have man, right. you have <laughs> rainwater right, <laughs> and cheese. And right. those are the three options. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so that's, that is not true. It's not statistically significant that women are better than men is more of who has the most exposure Exactly. to sense who have that expanded scent vocabulary, which is also a good thing if you're thinking, well, I'm a man, so I'm just never going to be as good. That's not true That's for not true. everybody. Yeah. What's true is practicing and expanding your vocabulary and your scent memories is what's going to turn you into a better evaluator of yeah. things like beer, a better somebody who's better at sensory it's going to come with exposure and experience. And it can come from anything too. Like you made a really good point one time, a long time ago, we were talking about something sensory practice and you're like, well, someone's like, I don't want to drink beer all the time. And it's like, you don't, you can learn sensory from anywhere cooking. You know, it doesn't have to be floral. It doesn't have to be a flower shop or a perfume section. It can be chocolate. It can be, you know, cooking meat. Literally I will be walking through the city with Jen and she'll be like, do you smell that? this is what this, this is what this area smells like right now in this park at this time, she pulls out her phone and she writes it down. Yep. And like, I'm not kidding. She's done this more than once. And that is how you practice sensory. You, you just stop whatever you're doing. And you're like, what does that smell? Right. Right. You're literally stopping to smell the roses. And you do that to like, as a way of living too. Like you, you know, if something smells off, you always stop. You're like, what's that smell? If it smells dangerous to you, do you need to be aware of something like naturally instinctively you do that? Right. Exactly. If my neighbors knew how big of a creep I am from doing that, like (laughs) I know who does laundry on what nights because I can smell it. Like the neighbors on this side do laundry on Tuesday nights. The neighbors on this side do laundry on like Sunday <laughs> mornings, um, which I just know because I can go outside and like smell the 
you know, the fabric softener mm -hmm. or whatever. So if you're one of my neighbors and you're listening to this, <laughs> I apologize. And it's kind of like when uh, the first time I took the Aroxa practical beer taster training uh, with Bill Simpson, he said, you know, when we were talking, and we'll talk about this a little bit uh, in a few minutes as well. But, you know, one of the main things you learn when you're judging or when you're starting to evaluate beer is like if you feel like you're getting palate fatigue, which isn't a thing, but if you're getting palate fatigue or like you can't, you're not really smelling as well as you were, yeah. you stop and you smell your skin because that helps reset yeah. your, your palate. And he was like, yeah, all of you have a specific smell that mm -hmm. like I have associated with you now, which is like I get that you know there's like yeah there's if you spend the night in my house like <laughs> but like, like you know there's like experiments where they have like men wear t-shirts and sweat and, and then have the women smell the sweat and most most people can identify their which shirt their partner was wearing and no, you may not that. you may not know that but yeah when he said that I was just like yeah like sniffing like, my did hair I, all, I, all I can imagine <laughs> is him like giving you something behind, like coming from up behind to put down a sample and he like slowly leans down and deep sniffs your hair. Like, <laughs> yes, that, that did not happen. Yeah. Well, that's what I know you're of. picturing. Yeah. That's, what, yeah. that's the painting, the picture <laughs> right. that you are painting. <laughs> right. I know. But then I'm just like, oh no, like what is, what is my, what do I smell? What is, yeah. What do I smell it? I know, right? We have to do a little We'll, we'll smell each other. Yeah, we'll yeah. see each other in a few days in person. <laughs> we'll just be I'll make you other. smell me right when I get off the airplane. <laughs> okay. I'm like, here, smell this specific area of my armpit right here. Smell this. <laughs> Deal. How does that, that smell? Yeah. We, we'll both be standing in the airport sniffing each other's armpits. And then like two and hours making later, notes on our phone. <laughs> I'll be like, now smell it. Now smell it. Two hours later. How's it changed? Right. <laughs> yes. So... That, again, the, that. <laughs> don't worry, guys, the there's not um, acumen doesn't come from gender for, oh, you yeah. know, for no, anything no. is your exposure and your experience. So while we're on the topic of smelling your skin to reset your palate, one of the things that I see often enough that I it always kind of cracks me up is coffee beans, people who smell coffee beans. And I was taught I'm, that I'm, at one point. Yes. So this is one of those things. And I learned this in What the Nose Knows by Avery Gilbert. That's a great book. I was subscribed to his Substack. He's got some weird, like libertarian, very misogynistic views on a lot of things. So I just unsubscribed. <laughs> but the book is good. And yeah. in the book, he talks about the coffee beans and he specifically he was a master perfumer will you uh, back is, up back yeah. up and like just explain to our people why you're talking about coffee beans yes i will yeah i'm going to get there okay so i just didn't want anyone um, to be confused <laughs> yes i um it's a long and winding road for me to make my point sometimes but i will no, get I, there. I hear you my bad <laughs> i am i'm here but for he's you know he is a a master perfumer and worked in the perfume fragrance world and just kind of one day in I don't know like the 80s coffee beans started showing up at perfume counters and it was ostensibly so when you were smelling different fragrances then you would smell the coffee beans and that would help like reset your nose but nobody knows where this came from or why it came to be 
but it is something that I was at a beer judging competition a couple of years ago where, you know, like old, old homebrew guy pulls out a thing of ground coffee and sets it on the table. And he was like, this is what I use to clear my nose and my palate because this, like, this is, is what you do. Like he was like, this is a really big flex. I've got my coffee beans here and you don't have your coffee beans. And I was just like, that's not true. <laughs> that's not a real thing. And you so the reason, right. So the reason <laughs> behind that is when our bodies, when we get used to a smell, this is also why you can't smell yourself or you can't smell what mm -hmm. your house smells like. Your body, your sense of smell, one of the things it's designed to do is to keep you informed and alert about your surroundings. So if you've got a singular smell that's always around, your body's like, okay, I don't need to pay attention to this anymore. And then noise is what happens when something comes in that disrupts that kind of that baseline smell. So it's, you know, smelling a skunk or or literally just like smelling anything else that's different. And then your body's like, oh, okay, I need to pay attention to this. But you will eventually adapt to those smells. And what you, the guidance to like smell your arm or smell your clothes or smell coffee beans, that is intended to kind of break that adaptation and turn that adaptation into noise again, mm -hmm. basically. So if you're evaluating a beer and it's like, ugh, like I got, I got H2S the first time I smelled this and now I can't smell it. Like, especially with sulfur compounds, we get blind to those really quickly. Mm -hmm. And so if you take a break, smell your arm, you can literally smell anything. It's not coffee beans. It's not special to coffee beans. Yeah. You smell anything different to interrupt that adaptation. And that helps you go back and find those compounds. Uh, but for the longest time, the myth was coffee beans specifically are what resets or what breaks that. Yeah, no, and no, no. They will, but so but the, will. But then you just have ketchup. coffee, like smelling everything. Like they like. <laughs> right. But you can smell literally anything and that will yeah. reset. Yeah, exactly. That will interrupt that adaptation that's happening for the compounds you're looking for. It's not just coffee beans. And I remember posting that. Uh, on my Instagram a couple of years ago and somebody commented and was like, oh my God, I brought coffee beans with me to my advanced sister and tasting exam. <laughs> I was like, that's fine. That's totally fine. You're not doing anything wrong. And more importantly, you're not harming yeah. your evaluation process. And a lot of that is um, kind of a placebo effect too. Like if you, if you think it helps you, good, then let it help you. There's no harm in that. It's not hurting anybody else. It's not hurting what you're trying to accomplish but it's not necessary and you can get the same effect by smelling your arm or just like taking a break and mm -hmm. just a few deep breaths and then go back to it. There's a lot of ways that you can break that adaptation to be able to get back to your perceptions. It's not just coffee beans. Ground coffee. Oh, I should smell this because it helps me reset my palate. And I guess like it doesn't not do that, but. But it's not I, specifically the only thing that will do that. Right. I could sniff a stick of butter. Yeah. Or your arm. Or my arm. The one thing that I would uh, kind of similar, a little different are like, you know, when you people, you know, when you have the crackers for your sensory mm -hmm. evaluations or stuff, I always tell people don't eat crackers. Like, I feel like you just add cracker to your mouth. 
Mm-hmm. Like this is like different than smelling something. Like you can get rid of your aroma really quick, right? It's not lingering in your palate. Personally, right. I, I always suggest, you know, if you have the crackers at your judging table or whatever, just to pass by them unless you're getting drunk, maybe. But right. <laughs> right. And I, I usually like I find crackers helpful for um, when you're doing a tasting panel and an exam and you're finished early and you're just nervous. And if I just keep <laughs> eating crackers, then I won't go back to my samples and be like, oh, I should change all my answers. Oh, yeah, definitely never change. all. You always go with your gut. <laughs> right. That's a, can yes. have a whole episode about not going with our gut and examples. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um on the the subject of something like crackers, carbonated water, unflavored oh, yeah. carbonated water is the, sure. best, the like, best, the best way that you can. I your palate. don't know why that's not like the standard other than it's yeah. just annoying to get versus water, but like not that annoying, but you know, not as easy. Right. But like, honestly, that should be the new beer industry standard for sensory training for any right. training, whiskey, right. wine, whatever, like you got what and why carbonation helps scrub away. It's right. not just you drink it. You know, you ever brush your teeth and drink a sip of water. It's gross, right? But if you have a sip of soda, it's not as gross. <laughs> you ever try that? <laughs> Everyone's going to go try it now. Go brush your teeth. Highly recommend uh, soda water. Highly recommend brushing your teeth. Yes. Oh, every day, twice a day. <laughs> when you get older like me, you can start going to the dentist three times a year instead of two. <laughs> But like, you're going to come every four months now. I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I can argue here. Yes. Do you have any more myths for me? I do. Good. I'm excited. So the the last couple I have are the ones that I am guilty of repeating, like in recent history, Um, which I just told you these are myths. So uh, you you already know. It's okay. It's (laughs) It's an unknown fib. You didn't know. You didn't know. Right. We're all just doing the best we can. Right. So, Rachel, do you think that humans are, like, humans compared to other animals are better or worse at smelling? When I look at my canine friend (laughs) who's sitting next to me in my adorable bed. Or she's adorable, not my bed. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the bed's I, I've standard. always assumed, I've always assumed that, you know, it, it, most animals are probably better at smelling than we are. At least dogs are, right? We literally use them to find things with their scent. No one's asking me to find anything with my nose. But you could be trained. <laughs> Except diacetyl, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this was something that... I like I even remember last year in a presentation having a slide that's like smelling like humans are really bad at it and we're not um, we're not bad at it and a lot of that thinking again like it makes sense I think it's intuitive to be like well a dog is closer to the ground so a dog's going to smell more and one of you know like humans evolved to be able to see farther rather than needing to smell Um, But this is all surprise is all wrapped up in white supremacy um, (laughs) in, you know, particularly in like the late 1800s on there was a very big scientific push. And this is actually since ancient times 
the senses of smell and taste were considered um, barbaric. They were lesser senses. They were not as important as vision. Vision was deemed this is the this is the best human sense, and hearing followed slightly after that. But sight was the most important for humans, and that's what differentiated us from animals. And that's also um, the concepts of smell and different cultures is what's been used to other people. And as you go back through the sensory, you do see that a lot of it, or the sensory history, a lot of what we've repeated in terms of like humans being bad at smelling is going to support that theory that like humans sight's the most important and the concept of like the olfactory, olfactorily neutral man is the, at least in Eurocolonial history, the, you know, that proximity to power involves being perceived as like not having a scent. And that was really done by hmm. saying that people from other cultures smell bad or, you know, like they don't have the same concepts of cleanliness as we mm -hmm. do because like i can i can smell your yeah. body odor that's really yeah. just a body smell but we've decided that that's not okay yeah and that's really what so much of that comes from is like being having a perceived neutral smell is what you do when you're in a position of power that's one of the proximities to power and if somebody has a smell be it from perfume or you know food mm -hmm. or diet or whatever mm -hmm. that's othering but what that also neglects is what we just talked about which is that everyone has a smell mm -hmm. and you don't smell yourself normally unless something is different on like your you body. do smell to someone else you have a smell right that exactly it could be just as intrusive if you will Right, exactly. That's exactly right. But this this concept of humans being bad at smelling comes from Broca. Uh, maybe this time next year, I will be more of a neuroscience expert on on this. But Broca, and you, like in our brains, we have what's known as Broca's area. His he put forth that humans were bad at smelling, and the reason why was because we gained free will at the expense of our olfactory system. So specifically our brains, we evolved to have free will and be humans, but that meant that we we weren't as good at smelling. Like there wasn't enough room in our brain for everything or room in our head, which isn't true. You know, mm -hmm. if, you, if you look at like our olfactory bulb compared to a mouse or a dog, it's like, yeah, it takes up more space in their, in their skulls but it's relatively the same size. So like we have the same area by comparison. Yes. That, like it's not smaller. It just looks smaller because there's a bigger brain around it. Mm -hmm. So humans are not bad at smelling, um, but that is something that has helped perpetuate. Like you don't need to be good at smelling. And if you do smell, you don't smell like us. Mm hmm. Uh, but that was something that until very recently, I was like, oh, yeah, humans are bad at smelling. And the other thing I will say about when we're talking specifically about like humans aren't bad at smelling, there's so much more research being done now for the our sense of smell and our sense of taste, uh, specifically in the last few years because of anosmia or paranosmia being one of the like key indicators of potentially COVID-19. Mm -hmm. 
And so then like a lot more science is like the kind of the science world started taking it a lot more seriously and doing more research because of that. Um, but, you know, there's just a lot of stuff for the, for the longest time. It's like, if you're studying the sense of smell, why? Like vision's where it's at. Yeah. Um, which is not true. Yeah. Um, and then the the other thing that I can also blame Broca for <laughs> is our limbic system. And this is, this one is still like, I'm I'm going to try to explain it, but it's still very hard for me to wrap my mind around it because I just have to unlearn some things that I thought were foundational about sensory. Um, and that's, again, this was something I did and I still talk about is when you're working on scent training, the concept of being an olfactory lover. And that is um, limbic system. It's an old memory. It's a, um, oh, huh. I was trying to spell limbic in my mind, <laughs> not lever. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, what's the M? Um, so limbic, old, uh, visceral, emotional, and rare is kind of the concept. And so that's what, you know, when I've talked about uh, when I learned to smell Belgian yeast, it was because I learned to link the smell of my grandmother's root cellar to the smell of Belgian yeast because I would smell it and my brain would say mm -hmm. root cellar. And that's that's kind of what those are. And there's still a lot of value in that in your scent training is to pay attention to what kind of, you know, when you've got, and we've all had that, like you recently, I forgot where we were, but like we walked into someplace and I was like, this place smells like school cafeteria milk carton. <laughs> and, you know, my husband was just like, oh my God, it does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I pulled out my phone and I made a little note. Um, but, you know, we've all had those experiences where you have that moment and it just like immediately transports you somewhere. And for, at least for me, like up until the last month, I, like I'd heard people say like, oh, that's not true. Like the lizard brain thing isn't true. Um, like science has proven it not not to be like that. And what the finding is, is more that our everything's connected within our brains a lot more than we originally thought. So it's not, you don't just have Broca's area and it only does this thing. And your amygdala only does this thing. It's like your, your entire brain, right? It's a community that works together. And it's like that for sensory and it's like that for memories and it's like that for scent memories. It's Broca had kind of said your limbic system is the home of emotion. This is where emotion lives. This is the, you know, like you get that one smell and it immediately transports you back. That's your limbic system. And the, that limbic system area does not exist in mm -hmm. our brains. Um, so that's still something that, like I said, I'm trying to unlearn yeah. that and kind of relearn how everything works instead, because up until very recently, that's that what I've been changed. saying. And like, and it's yeah. still, it's still difficult for me to be like, well, I know that there's all of this evidence and data, but I still believe my theory, you know, like I'll get there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the last thing and we we just touched on this a little bit is anosmia and I know we've said this on the podcast before and I say it a lot when we're talking about certain compounds average rates of anosmia so anosmia being the inability to smell you can have complete anosmia you can be anosmic to certain compounds 
what I found when, particularly when people like start learning their off flavors is they will assume that they are blind mm-hmm. to a certain compound because they can't pick it up. So the example I always use is diacetyl. Diacetyl has an 8% anosmia rate, which means that in the general population, about 8% of people are not able to detect diacetyl at all. And that's, I use that one because that's the one I hear most often from people who are like, oh, I I must, I think I'm anosmic to diacetyl because I can't pick it up. And it's like, there's a 92% chance that you just need more practice with, with that. And I know we've had these discussions, Rachel, like you with acetaldehyde, I'm like this with DMS and Mm -hmm. like the, the ethyl acetate is not, I'm not good at that. I don't think that I'm blind to it. I think I just need more practice with it. Same. I know. I know I'm not blind with acetaldehyde. Sometimes I can get it. Right. Especially when I dose eight ounces of beer with a whole spike meant for a liter. Right. Like I did that one time. (laughs) But that's exactly what you should do. And that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Is and that's that's what Aroxa recommends is if you think that you are nosmic to a certain compound, take one of their full size compounds and put it in like 300 mils of beer, and if you can't pick it up, then then you're probably anosmic to it. But if mm-hmm. you can pick it up, then you just need to work on lowering the concentrations at which you can detect it. So yeah, Rachel, thank you for indulging me in. Oh, I loved it. It's a myth busting. It was a good one. Thank you. Good one. I liked it. Yeah, it's um, these these are definitely things that I like. Have other friends, including you, not exclusive of you, where like I'll learn something like this and I'll screen send a screenshot and be like, "What the fuck did you know about this?" So it's nice to have a a community of um, nerds who indulge each other. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And if you have any good ones, drop them in the comments when we post the episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'm working on kind of a short list of ones for brewing, too, that I think would be good. Like hot side aeration doesn't exist. Yeah. That's a myth. Myth. Caramel malts help head retention. Myth. Myth. See, there we go. Yeah, we've got Oh, uh, what other, what other, what other ones? I will say, uh, I might want to use this as the picture for this episode. I will ask you first, but my favorite picture of Rachel is when yes. we were at HomebrewCon last year in Pittsburgh and uh, during national homebrew competition, one of our friends was judging with someone, with another judge who said that you could not pick up for vinyl guayacol orthonasally. It was only retronasal, which is not true. That is not true. Um, But our friend told us this and Rachel was having a different conversation. And I was like, hey, tell Rachel this. And I want to get a picture of her reaction. (laughs) I can't wait to see this. I can't, don't remember this picture, but the answer is yes. (laughs) Yeah. So if you see this, that is the story behind the picture, assuming that Rachel okays it to be used, but it is my favorite picture of Rachel. I can imagine it with my face. (laughs) Probably the fuck. (laughs) I can't. That's basically it. Um, So yes. Thank you everyone. (laughs) for listening. And like Rachel said, if there's something else that you've heard, you know, put it in the comments or shoot us a DM or an email and let us know. Yeah. Share Um, the knowledge. Don't gatekeep. Stop gatekeeping. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah, so you can email us at falsebottomgirls at gmail.com. You can follow us or DM us on social media, falsebottomgirls. And you can visit our website, falsebottomgirls.com. This has been False Bottom Girls. And we make the Bruin world go round.